This morning, I have the privilege of continuing a series that we've been in that we are calling Unafraid, Unafraid. And um, at the heart of this series, we're pressing into the very simple question, what might it look like if we lived life a little less afraid? What might it look like if you lived your life a little less driven by fear? Because whether we realize it or not, fear is often functioning behind the scenes like an operating system motivating so many of the decisions we make. For many of us, we live where we live because of fear. I don't want to get too far from my family. I don't want to get too far from my kids. I don't want to venture out and start over somewhere I don't know. For many of us, we're in the jobs we're in because of the fear. For many of us, we vote the way we vote. We surround ourselves with the people we hang out with because, boy, if we hang out with people who weren't like us, what might that look like? What might it be like if we lived life a little less driven by fear? What kinds of decisions would we make? Uh, Who might we invite to sit at our table? Uh, What kind of trips might we accept going on in that case? What kind of adventures, what kind of risks, what might life look like if we lived a little less afraid? And more importantly, what might life look like if we lived a little less afraid when it came to saying yes to the person of Jesus and all that he invites us into. Um, One of my favorite uh, purpose statements um, of Jesus is found in John chapter 10, verse 10. One of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Uh, And here's what it says. This is Jesus talking about his purpose in coming to the world and engaging people. Here's what it says. John chapter 10, verse 10, the verse will show up on the screen here in a moment. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full purpose statement. I have come that they might have life as one version says and have it more abundant. Abundantly, I have come that you might have the stuff that brings the deepest delight and you might have a little too much of it. I have come so that you might have more life than you could possibly handle. I've come that you might have abundance. Abundance. It's who Jesus is per his own declaration. Abundance. It's what he wants for you. And yet the truth of the matter is so many of us miss out on experiencing the abundance that Jesus longs for us to have because we are afraid of abundance. We'll come back to that in a second, but we want to spend our time looking at a story in Uh, the New Testament. Uh, One of my favorite Jesus stories, there are a lot of them. This is one of them, Luke chapter 5 verse 1. This is Jesus meeting and calling some of his first disciples on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. A, A funky story as Jesus stories tend 
to be. If you have a copy of the Bible, meet me there. Luke chapter five, starting at verse one. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, they will, uh, verses will show up on the screen um, in front of you, wherever you happen to be engaging with us from. Luke chapter five, starting at verse one. All right, funky story incoming. It says, one day, As Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God because Jesus was preaching. Verse 2, he, Jesus, saw at the water's edge two boats. Boats were left there by the fishermen. The fishermen were washing their nets. So Jesus just got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, a.k.a. Peter. And he asked him, Peter, to put out a little from shore. Then Jesus sat down and taught the people from the boat. Okay, so here's the scene that Luke sets up for us here on the shore of Galilee. Um, After fishing all night, Simon, aka Peter, and his fishing crew are sitting on the stony beach of the Sea of Galilee, and they are cleaning their nets. Now, again, cleaning their nets, as it says here, is a very nice way of putting it. What they were actually doing was a grueling, meticulous process that could take Hours and hours after a night of fishing, they were sitting on the shore with their massive net and they are picking out little pebbles, little rocks that had gotten caught in the net. They're picking out bone fragments that have gotten caught in the net as the net dragged through the water or maybe scraped the seabed as they were fishing during the course of the night. And when they were done picking out all the little pieces of debris um, from their nets, they would start crocheting. They would start knitting, sewing, fixing any place where the net would have gotten ripped or torn so that the next time they go out fishing, they are actually able to hold the fish in the net. Point being, this was a grueling Long process. Here they are sitting on uh, the shore. Now, in addition for them, they are having a rough morning. Uh, Peter is going to actually talk about this a little bit later and let us in on the fact that after an entire night of fishing, this group of professional fishermen completely struck out. They caught not a single fish with all of their collective knowledge and intel, they came up completely short. I mean, they grabbed the net and they threw it in into the water. They cast it and recast it. And every time they had to recast it, it was a little heavier because it was now waterlogged and, and they threw it to every place possibly. Your fish could jump into that thing and all night they caught absolutely Nothing, which means here they are going through this grueling process, nursing a little bit of frustration and disappointment because in all of their professionalism and experience, they couldn't catch anything. So now they have to go through this whole process with nothing to show for it. This would have been embarrassing, by the way, 
because they're on the shores. And there are other fishing crews that are all around them. And you know how men are. Um, they're so competitive and can often be petty. So for hours, they are here cleaning the nets, fixing the nets. And what do you think everybody asks Peter over and over and over and over again about his fishing expedition? Yeah, they ask him, hey, Peter, buddy, how's your heart and your mental health? Like, no, they don't care about that. They want to know who won and who scored how many points and how many dunks and touchdowns were they. They want to know the details, like how many fish did you catch and what was the biggest one and what did it weigh and how much money do you guys think you're going to cash in on tonight and how much, tell us, how manly do you feel right now and how proud of you will your kids be when you get back home? Tell us, Peter, how did you do? And so Peter for hours has to keep figuring out new ways to tell the people we struck out, we caught absolutely nothing. I feel like a loser. We are frustrated city over here. That's the scene Luke paints for us. Peter and his crew are the burly, frustrated, disappointed fishermen who are crocheting on the shore after striking out a whole night of fishing, are sitting there mending nets and licking their man wounds or whatever. That sounds strange, but whatever. So, A little bit away from them is Jesus. And uh, Jesus is surrounded by a large and growing crowd listening to him teach. And the insinuation is that as Jesus is teaching, the crowd is growing and they're starting to press in on Jesus, pushing him closer and closer into the water. So Jesus makes an innovative decision, looks around. And he sees a boat. And (laughs) it's in the Bible. So Jesus, (laughs) Jesus just gets into one of the boats. Ah, I'm just saying the Bible is really good. You should should just read it again. It it, it says it right there. Jesus, apparently, he he just, he gets into one of... um, the boats, uh, the one that happened to belong to Simon Peter. Remember him, frustrated, burly fisherman dude who is on the shore fixing his nets after completely striking out. Um, oh man, I, I read this. Jesus asks no permission. There is no evidence of please or may I or. Thank you. He just commandeers some dude's vessel um, and sits in it. Kind of rude, if you ask me. Also, frankly, trespassing. (laughs) And I think a case could be made for theft. I don't know what Mary taught Jesus growing up, but my mom taught me. (laughs) You don't just take other people's stuff commandeer it and start treating it like it's yours. Matter of fact, the thing Jesus does is he actually starts bossing Peter around. Did you see, did you see that? This is a trip. Um, hey, uh, buddy, do you mind, you know, stopping whatever you may be doing? Um, and uh, just, you know, giving me a little push offshore so I can continue to, to talk. And then when you're done, feel free 
to swim on back to the shore and keep doing whatever you were doing. I'm like, wait, what? Um, (laughs) We've got to read these stories like they have real people in them with real feelings because I would have been a hard pass on this request. But the most astonishing thing is, burly, frustrated, disappointed Peter actually does it. He rolls up his, you know, robe situation, wades into the water, pushes Jesus, re-anchors the boat, goes back to what he was doing, nursing his wounds of disappointment and frustration while Jesus continues to teach Peter actually did it. Um, And then I was reading this and I was thinking like, man, but isn't this though such a great picture of the way Jesus so often shows up in our lives? Um. Just completely uninvited and disruptive. I'm like, yeah, that's actually what it does. Shows up like a trespassing thief into our world. He doesn't ask permission to step into your world and start giving you orders. He just does it. Doesn't send you a text to see if you're in the middle of anything important. Doesn't ask if, you know, the timing is convenient and if things work well with your current or future plans. He just steps in and starts telling you what your life is now going to look like. This is such a great picture of the way Jesus shows up. Doesn't ask you if you're in a season of frustration or deep disappointment and if you can handle one more thing. He just starts inviting you To do stuff. Doesn't offer an explanation. Is really no good at giving you a timeline. To give you a sense of how long is this going to take. Nothing of the sort. Just leaves you guessing. Steps into your world in all of his uninvited and disruptive glory. And for Peter, that's how his relationship with Jesus begins. That's how his adventure of following the person of Jesus actually begins. This is so good. Um, because I think it surfaces one of the first questions of discipleship. One of the first questions of following after Jesus. And it's the question, excuse me, Am I interrupting? Ah, Jesus here. Excuse me. Am I interrupting anything? And for the disciple of Jesus, for the follower of Jesus, there is only ever one appropriate answer to that question. This is so good. Now, we've often talked about this here um, 
at mission point because contrary to popular opinion, by the way, we'll come back to this, but contrary to popular opinion, Jesus turns out is the king of the things. Which things? All the things. Turns out. Look at what it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. This is so powerful in describing Jesus. It says, For in him, Jesus, all things were created things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him, Jesus, and for him, it says. Jesus, verse 17, he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. Woo! This is so good. I'll tell you why this is so good. Um, Because, uh, again, it, it seems to suggest Jesus spoke all things into into being he created all things jesus spoke the tree into being by the way that was used to to shape and carve and create the boat that he ended up sitting in i don't know if you knew this but jesus actually uttered the words that carved out the basin and then spoke the words that filled the sea of galilee with water and all the fish that were in it. And by the way, Jesus is the one who breathes the breath that is being inhaled into the lungs of Peter, allowing him to breathe. Turns out Jesus is the king of all. Here's what I'm saying to you. I was just kidding when I said Jesus is a thief because <laughs> you, it's, it's technically not stealing if all of it is yours anyway. You can't trespass when the whole world and the heavens belong to you. You don't need permission to step into any space and start to tell what you've created to do exactly what you desire them to do whenever you desire them to do it. Jesus is the king of all the things. This is such a fascinating scene On the shore of Galilee. So excuse me. But is Jesus interrupting anything? It's one of the first questions of discipleship. And the only appropriate answer is never. You cannot be interrupting. Because all of it is yours. All of this is yours. And you can claim it. You can call on it. Whenever it is that you desire to do so. This is the anthem of the follower of Jesus. Now, my stuff is technically your stuff, so you can use it whenever you want, Jesus. How far would you like me to push you out to shore? Because the fact that there's even strength in my bones is from you. That vessel is yours. This vessel is yours too. It's never about how your plans fit into mine. It's always about how my plans are a part of your plans. It's not my life. It's yours. And I'm just telling you, by the way, that if you are not okay with that, Um, Well, for one, Jesus is going to constantly feel 
like an interruption, just disrupting your life, messing with your agenda and your plans and your schedule when he's just being king. Because that's who he is. I wonder if there's an area of your life that feels like it's just being interrupted. Just feels a little chaotic. And I wonder if that might not be Jesus saying, I want you to acknowledge that I am king of that thing. That I am king of that particular area. Tell me it's mine. I don't know my kids' futures. Things All of a sudden it feels so chaotic and uncertain. And it's just not going the way we thought it was going to go. I wonder if he may not be inviting you to declare my kids' future. As you are the king of my kids' future. My finances, they just feel like they're so uncertain, they're messed up, and I'm not quite sure what to do. Good. I want you to declare that I am king over your finances. My, my relationship status, like it's on again, off again, on again, off again. I have no idea where we stand, and it just feels like it's in this constant upheaval. Maybe he's inviting you to declare him king over that particular Thing. I think disruption is so often an opportunity to crown Jesus king over the disrupted thing. Because I'm so often feeling disrupted and feeling anxious because I believe I'm king over that thing. In which case, how it turns out is completely up to me. When there may be an invitation to acknowledge he's king. Even there, Simon Peter, I think, beautifully embodies this principle. Jesus is king of the things when he pushes him out a little bit in his boat. While he's in the middle of a frustrating and disappointing morning on the shore. It's, it's all yours. I'm like, great job, Peter. Well done. The thing is, things are about to get a little more complicated for you. It says in verse 4, when he, Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, a.k.a. Peter, "Um, (laughs) put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. What? What? Maybe this is just me. Confession time. I'm the person who tends to think, um, I surrendered that area of my life to you. I acknowledge that you were king over that thing. Jesus, I did it. Good for me. Um, That should at least buy me a few months of life smooth and uninterrupted. <laughs> like, that's legitimately how I think. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I mean, we said yes to adopting a girl. 
does that take us off your radar for at least 13 years? Right? Like surely that buys us enough credit for you to just not interrupt our lives. Okay, you, we, we got, okay. No. Um. <laughs> Maybe 50 minutes or so later. I don't know how, you know, I, I don't know how long it was. I don't know. I think that's how long Jesus preached, about 50 minutes, but whatever. Uh, about, when Jesus is done preaching, he's right back at Peter. And I'm like, oh, no, he didn't. Yes, he did. Hey, Simon. Sci guy. Simony. Um. Peter's like, oh, this guy again. <laughs> Probably doesn't know how to swim, so I need to bring him back in to shore. Sai, sai. <laughs> Let's go fishing. <laughs> Simon's like, uh, sir, it almost sounded like you said, let's go fishing. Uh, this is crazy. I'm just telling you right now. And by the way, some of you are there right now with Jesus. <laughs> he, he's inviting you to go back, inviting you to stay in the places of your greatest disappointment and frustration. And he's saying, let's go again. Let's go further in. You've got to be kidding me. He's not letting you walk away from that place that makes you feel like a failure. He's calling you to go further, to try again. Places you wanted to get out of because it feels so disappointing and it looks nothing like you dreamed it would look like. It's been a devastating death of a dream. They say, let's go further. Let's do it again. Let's do it some more. This is such a crazy and costly and frankly scary request. First of all, um, the timing is awful. I can imagine Peter is thinking like, dude, Respectfully, of course. <clears throat> you saw us up here fixing and mending our nets, working meticulously while you sat in the boat talking. You saw us working on this. And right as we're about to wrap up and pack things away, now you say, let's go fishing. I feel like we just got done grieving that loss. And now you say, we just came to terms with the fact that this dream will never live. I just came to terms with the fact that this relationship is broken forever. Now you're telling me, now what about when we were pleading with you, help us catch some fish? How about when we were saying, could you miraculously help the nets fix themselves this morning? Now you're saying, 
And, sir, literally, there are hundreds of people on the shore. A lot of them thanks to you. But a lot of them thanks to the fact that the fishing community is all doing the same thing right now. And if there is a 101 level understanding among the fishing community, it is that you do not go fishing at noon. No self-respecting professional fisherman would ever go fishing at noon on account of the fact that the sun is mercilessly beating down and on account of the fact that the fish are hiding from the sun in places where nets cannot get them. No one fishes at noon. If we go fishing now, I'm just telling you, sir, we will be the laughing stock of the fishing community for years to come. They will mock us. They will never let us live this down. They will call me Sonny Simon for the rest of my life. I'm just telling you, Jesus, our family and friends will laugh at us forever. They will call us crazy. They'll call us irresponsible. They'll call us financially negligent. My colleagues at work will call me crazy because no one does that in the corporate world. No one walks away from that in the corporate world. I'm saying, Jesus, this is crazy. Simon tries to explain to Jesus, chapter 5, verse 5, Master, we've worked hard all night. And we haven't caught anything. I I know you don't know that because you just got here not too long ago. We've worked at this all night. And listen, the fish on strike or something, we caught nothing. And we are the best at catching fish. If we couldn't catch fish all night, there are no fish to be caught. Especially, sir, not at noon. We've tried this. It didn't work. We tried the whole foster care thing. It was a disaster. Jesus, it didn't work. I tried having a conversation with my dad. It did not go well. I know, Jesus, you might not know this. And Jesus, trust me when I say that all of the research has come in and Fast Company has done an article that says that nobody in the corporate world does this. This is a bad idea. It doesn't work. Jesus, I know you're not down with the trends, but on TikTok, there was this thing that showed us that that doesn't work. We've tried to be generous and we just got taken advantage of. Tried that nonprofit ministry and it just didn't work. Jesus, we have worked on this marriage. We have tried everything. And I'm telling you, if there was anything to salvage in this relationship, we would have salvaged it by now. This is a crazy request. It doesn't make any sense. What an ask from Jesus. No offense, You seem like a good teacher from what I could hear. But we're the professionals when it comes to fishing. So maybe stay in your lane. I don't know. (laughs) Come on, you know that's how we treat Jesus. Like, oh, you're good on Sunday morning. 
But this is an on-campus situation that you, you wouldn't understand. It's got to do with my classes and my academics. <laughs> you wouldn't understand that. No, this is a financial thing. This is about budgeting it. And, and you, 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 so maybe Jesus, stay in your spiritual lane. We tried, and we caught nothing. Woo! But come on, the rest of verse 5, though. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so. Oh, man. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Those are some of the most beautiful words of discipleship. Those are some of the most beautiful words of following after Jesus. But because you say so. That is the anthem and the chorus of every true follower of Jesus. But because you say so. I am so scared to death, Jesus, of trying this again. But because you say so. Jesus, nothing in me feels like I have what it takes. I don't have enough. But because you say so. We've worked on this for 10 years and it just feels like there is no but because you, I've tried to talk to my friends at school. It did not go, but because you say so. But because you, I'm going to get laughed out of the room. My family would disown me. But because you say so. What a response. What an answer. Again, the refrain of the truest follower of Jesus resolves every tension in the story with the phrase, but because you say so. You are king of the things. Everything is yours, including my fishing business, the fish in the sea and the frustration I feel because of my disappointment. This, it's all yours. So because you say so, Peter says, if you say we fish, then we fish. <laughs> Man, I don't know if you knew. This is where life gets exciting. It's this moment right here. This is that moment, that crossroads where the life of the follower of Jesus Christ becomes the most glorious adventure. This is where life, I'm not saying it doesn't get difficult or painful, but I'm saying this is where life becomes exciting. In the moment where I become willing to say whatever it is, because you said so. This is what discipleship looks like. This is what ought to mark the lives of the followers of Jesus. Yeah, because you said so. Matter of fact, I'm curious to know, when was the last time you would say that you did something in your life and the only reason was because he said so? It was dumb, crazy, Statistically, maybe not the smartest thing you've ever done. 
But he said so. You knew the spirit of the living God was stirring. You knew the word of God had clearly called you to something. And everything else around you and inside you felt like this is crazy. The timing is awful. People will mock us. But because you said so. Because I'm telling you that's where life begins. To become this glorious, divine adventure. What was the last thing you would never have done for any other reason? But because. He's, people my age don't do, but because he said so. Here we are. Take a voluntary demotion. Everyone thought it was crazy, but I knew what he was saying about my family. And because he said so. Shut down my dating accounts. Because he said singleness till further notice. Because he said so. Turn yourself into the authorities. What? But no one would ever know but because he said so. We're in foster care again. We're venturing into the world of adoption. Because he said so. Go back overseas because he said so. Oh, adopt two more girls. Because he said so. Start a church in a county that's overpopulated with churches. (laughs) And maybe he's been calling you to go deeper right now. There's something he's been stirring you to, and you've, you've sensed it, and it just feels like a crazy and scary ask. Peter said what every follower must say. This is crazy, but master, king of the things, because you say so. So, crew chief Peter um, orders his little mini fleet To get back out and try again. Um, Except this time. It's a little different. (laughs) This time. uh, The king of creation. The king of. The fish. And the seas. Is sailing shotgun. (laughs) Every time you utter the words, but because you say so, you can rest assured. The king of the things, he is now with you uniquely in this place. And I don't care how it went before. I don't care what happened before. It doesn't matter what the disappointment was like before or what the frustration felt like before. This is a different level of adventure. Because... He said so. Verse 6. When they had done so, meaning gone out to the deep places and let down their nets, they caught such a large number of fish. I've never been so excited about fish. 
that their nets began to break. (laughs) Dude, we're going to have to crochet these things again. (laughs) Verse 7. So they signaled their partners in the other boats to come over and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they both began to sink. (laughs) Both boats are sinking at noon. At noon. This is awesome. By the way, before this, I bet you none of Peter's crew had ever thought to themselves, this boat might be too small. That had never crossed their mind. (laughs) The king of the things is riding shotgun. Crazy things are happening. And by the way, let me just say that for you. Whatever your dreams have been, apart from the king of the things, they are way too small. If you got everything you've possibly dreamed about and your five-year goals and your retirement plan is all fulfilled, it is way too small. In comparison... (laughs) To what Jesus is inviting you to. I'm telling you. You are dreaming way too small. Whatever the thing is. That you are clinging to on the shores. Because it's safer. I'm just telling you. It is way too small. This is absolutely insane. Ten minutes ago. They are the most frustrated fishermen in Galilee. And now they're the. Record holders for the greatest catch in the region in the history of catches. (laughs) I just came to tell you, do not be afraid of Jesus's interruptions. Do not resist Jesus' inconvenient asks. Do not be afraid of pressing further. Do not be afraid of trying again for the 10th time. Do not be afraid of taking greater risks. Do not be afraid of surrendering control over that area that you've clung to for so long. Do not be afraid of saying because you say so, no matter what Jesus invites you to, because Jesus will never interrupt you and invite you to any place where he intends to leave you with less. Never. If he's inviting you anywhere, whatever he's inviting you from was way too small. He's inviting you to more. How do I know that? Because of this epic catch. Nope. Haven't you been paying attention? (laughs) Because of John chapter 10 verse 10. I have come that they might have abundance. I have come so that they might have more than their vessels could possibly handle. They might need some help and both of their boats are going to sink. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. He is never inviting you somewhere where he intends 
to leave you with less. Do not be afraid of saying yes to the craziest things because he said so. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not going to, I'm saying it's not going to be without challenges. But I am saying it is going to be an invitation to abundance, an invitation to more. He is the king of abundance. I'm telling you, do not be thrown by how he shows up or how inconvenient his invitations sound. Please do not be scared by the thing you are so afraid and reluctant to give up on the shores. <laughs> um, I'm just thinking if Peter had been like, no, I'm sorry, I'm out because people might laugh at me. He never actually gets to experience the king of abundance. Jesus shows up for abundance. I just wonder if you believe he is that. I just wonder if you believe he is the king of more. He is the king of abundance. Because I think if we are honest with ourselves, most of us in the church don't. If we're honest... We, we believe Jesus shows up to take from us. Like he's the one who comes to steal. We really believe he is a thief who comes to take stuff that doesn't belong to him. I mean, I want to follow Jesus, but I feel like he'll, he'll just keep taking away from my life the stuff that I enjoy and we really believe it when jesus shows up he wants to take stuff and it's it's sacrifice and 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 misery he's coming to take stuff he's a thief which is just hilarious because just can we agree jesus actually didn't need peter's boat we understand this right he could have stood on the water and preached he didn't need peter's boat This was an invitation. Hey, buddy, you okay if I do this? It's yours. (laughs) Hey, buddy, you okay to get a little inconvenient? Maybe push me out a little bit? You're the master. I'll stop what I'm doing to push you out. Mm, Okay. I see how you roll, (laughs) Sai-Sai. Okay. Are you willing to go out to the deep places with me and look like an absolute fool? Sure. Okay. I see how it is. It's almost like Peter understood what I pray all of us will understand. If Jesus ever asks you, by the way, to give something up, just suspect he's making room for more. If Jesus ever asks you to release something, just assume he doesn't need it. He's good. This is him inviting you. To an introduction to the king of abundance. If he invites you to lay down your life. It's because the person who lays down their life actually ends up truly finding it. He's the king of abundance. We have just believed this view of Jesus. That comes to take 
and make our lives miserable. And if you say yes to him once, oh, don't do it, man. It's a slippery slope. Next thing you know, you'll be a missionary in a far place, you know, dressed terribly and without TikTok, right? <laughs> he is the king of abundance. The king of abundance. Um, many of us are afraid of abundance and we cling to what's safest on the shore but come on ask the people who've dared to call Jesus king of the things come on talk to the people who've dared to say yeah we'll, we'll push you out a little bit it's, it's not entirely comfortable it feels disruptive and ask the people who've said yes because you say so we will go to Deep places, risky places. Ask those people if they've not met Jesus as the king of abundance who provides in unspeakable ways that you have never imagined and overwhelms everything you could possibly have dreamed of with more. Ask those people. And by the way, please don't ask the Christians who stayed on the shore. Commenting about what it's like out there. No, but talk to some of the folks who've said crazy yeses to Jesus, and they will tell you, I'm not saying it's easy. Oh, it's painful, but his comfort overwhelms us even there. Talk to them, and you will hear stories of provision and strength and, and healing and, and the miraculous. And I'm just telling you, I want a growing collection of these stories in my own life. I want a legacy in my family that my kids can look back to. I want my kids to be able to say, oh, my word, my parents are crazy. The only reason we did that was because they believed God had said so. I'm thankful for the few moments that we've ventured into deeper places, but I'm constantly running back to the shore where it feels safe and I can feel my footing under me. But I want more stories of saying yes to going to deep places and leaving a legacy and collecting stories of his abundance because he is the king of abundance. I've tasted it a few times and it's glorious. Glorious. Yeah, adopt two more girls. Adopt three girls. I'm just telling you, we weren't sitting around and thinking again, how can we delay our empty nest years as long as possible? I know. You know it's a good idea. Now, this is crazy. And the people around us said, like, mm, that's crazy. Okay? Your whole one-on-one -on -one parenting has gone to zone defense, and even that, you guys are very outnumbered right now. Like, it's true. <laughs> It is very true. But I'm telling you, we've seen God provide. We've seen just, just boatloads. Frankly, at one point, we had a boat. I'm not even a fan of the water, but somebody's like, hey, here's a boat. We had a boat like for three years. Until we're like, oh, I don't feel like a boat anymore. Weird stuff the Lord was doing to provide. And all of a sudden, we're like, we are traveling and going to places that it's like most people are saving up to be able to do one of these things after they retire. We should be the brokest people right now. And yet here we are experiencing some of them. My wife and I, like in the near future, we're going to like some five-star resort on a beach somewhere because of 
our connection with the adoption and foster world. It's like, oh, okay, we never saw this happening. But I want to experience Jesus more and more in these ways. Oh, again, like, oh, yeah, let's, let's launch a church in an overchurched county. No. We wanted to go west where there's mountain, decent weather. You walked in this morning. Um, <laughs> and when this church launched, I don't think there was Starbucks in, in our area. But because he said so. And it's weird. Like now all of a sudden we're like, which Starbucks do you want to go to? Like, I don't know. I hear the one doesn't have oat milk. Let's go to the, to the other one. It's like this fish everywhere all of a sudden. Um, and that's just a small glimpse that we've gotten to experience. Some of you have some of the most incredible stories of the yeses and the crazy things you've said to going to deep places. But here's what I know. I long to experience Jesus' abundance. The problem is his abundance is in the deep places. And I often insist on staying on the safety of the shore. Um, I, I wonder if he is inviting you, or maybe there's an area you're clinging to for safety and, and comfort in the shallows, and he's saying, come on deeper. I know there are places in my life that he's calling me to go deeper, and I'm still being stubbornly resistant. Pray for me. I'm still believing the lies of the enemy that Jesus is trying to take something from me and make life more difficult and less meaningful when he says, that's not why I came. Uh, verse 8, as we wrap here, it says, When Simon Peter saw this, the catch, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. What a puzzling response, by the way. Peter sees the abundant catch, and his response is fear. He's afraid. That's so strange. Get away from me, Jesus, he says. I'm a sinful man. And by the way, for some of us, this is where we get stuck. And for some of us, this is where we will get stuck. He says, Peter, I'm, I'm so broken. I'm so messed up. I'm so sinful. I'm so unworthy. Really interesting. Meaning what, Peter? Good things and abundance is not for people like me. This isn't for me. And that's where some of us are going to get stuck. 
Matter of fact, if Jesus is doing something good in my life, he must just be setting me up to take me down with a deeper disappointment because he knows who I am and he knows what I've done and he knows I'm unworthy and he knows I don't deserve this. Good things should not happen to me. They don't stick. I'm now waiting for the other shoe to drop. Get away from me, Jesus. You couldn't possibly have come to do good things for me. And for some of us, that's where we are right now. You couldn't possibly, not for me. Kondo, I appreciate what you're saying about good things and abundance, but not for someone like me. That's what Peter says. Mm -mm. Those are stories for other people. The righteous and the good people. Abundance is not in the books for me. Jesus, what do you really want? And we get super suspicious and we start to sabotage his abundance in our lives. In fact, some of us are so suspicious of ways Jesus may be introducing abundance into our lives that we've never even paused to thank him. Mm -mm, I'm not thanking you. Come on. <laughs> Where's Ashton Kutcher? What's the trick? What's the prank? Because good things don't happen to me. You're in a relationship and you're like, mm -hmm, for now. Right? It's good for now. Are these even real fish? Hmm? Hmm? Okay, they're real fish, but you know, right? This is what I mean when I say for many of us, we're actually afraid of abundance. Like it's a setup. Not for me. I struggle to trust good things in my life. I, I don't deserve them. I'm waiting for the reality to take a hold. I haven't been sick for such a long time. Bet you my body's decaying from within. Our church is growing or something is going to be, you know, my kids are behaving well. They're just setting us up for the teenage years. Oh Lord, they're going to be awful. And what that fear ends up revealing is that I'm trusting my unworthiness more than I'm trusting his abundance. I'm trusting my sinfulness more than I'm trusting his grace. And yet he says, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. My abundance is greater than your unworthiness. He's the king of abundance who loves to bring abundance because that's who he is. He does not bring abundance because of who you are. In fact, that is the gospel. <laughs> I knew you were sinful when I interrupted. I knew you were sinful when I stepped into the boat. But whatever sinful issue you have, I have an overabundance of forgiveness. Whatever brokenness you might have, I have an overabundance of healing and wholeness. I'm not doing this because of you. I'm doing this because of me. This is who I am. I am the king of abundance. Uh, I love how the story ends. Um, this is so cool. Um, the story ends with um, Peter and his buddies. The biggest catch of their career, the most lucrative day in the history of Galilee. 
And at the end of the day, Jesus says to him, don't be afraid. Um, this was actually just an appetizer. I'm actually calling you to something so much greater than physical stuff. We are going hunting for souls, yo. We are going to go and be part of a mission of calling people to life in me. There is going to be a deeper joy, a more abundant satisfaction found in walking in my mission. I love that. But more than that, I love the fact that when it's all said and done, <laughs> Peter and uh, his buddies, did you see what they did? They take their greatest abundance, they bring it up to the shore, and they're like, bye-bye. Because at the end of the day, it was never about the abundance I thought my soul was after. It was always about the king of abundance. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. We want to go with you. It is always and ultimately about the person of Jesus. He brings abundance, but I promise you, as you start to taste abundance, you are going to have a growing appetite for the king. And you're going to find yourself saying, keep all of the stuff. I just want to go where you're going. I just want to do what you're doing. I find the greatest sense and the deepest satisfaction and the greatest joy in being with you. He's the king of abundance who comes to bring abundance. But ultimately, he's the one our souls crave. So, Father, I don't know where your kids in this room are. For some of us, maybe struggling to just acknowledge that you are king of all of the things. Maybe there's an area of our life we're still wrestling to control, and you want us to release that to you. And maybe for some of us, it's just the step of pushing you out to sea a little bit. Just acknowledging, hey, it's your stuff, and you are never an inconvenience. And maybe it's an area we're feeling interrupted and we just need to pause and say, Lord, how can this interruption be laid at your feet? And how can we crown you king even over that area? For some of us, you are calling us to go to deep places where you reveal more of your abundance to us. And I pray that we'll continue to say, because you say so, because you say so. And that would be our anthem. That for all of us, may we find that what our souls most deeply crave is you, Jesus. It's you. There'll be no fish in heaven. There'll be no retirement plans in heaven. There'll be no marriage in heaven. It will be you. You are who our souls ultimately crave. So Lord, fill us with a hunger for you. And then fill us so full that our souls sink and we have to call other people to share in the joy of who you are. You are so worthy. Become worthy to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.